I'm Candy Chambers with Direct Employers Association, and I'd like to welcome you to another episode of the DE Talk podcast. In today's episode, Shannon Offord, our Vice President of Strategic Partnerships, sat down with Torin Ellis, a leading diversity strategist to discuss diversity and inclusion. If you're in human resources and have not heard of Torin Ellis, then you're missing out on a huge diversity and inclusion conversation that could elevate your efforts. He's a true advocate for change and brings not only a passion for DNI, but also a perspective as a tenured practitioner, knowing the challenges you face each day. Hi everyone, this is Shannon Offord, the VP of Strategic Partnerships here at Direct Employers. Thank you for joining us today for our DE Talk podcast, episode five. Uh, we'll be focusing on a little bit about uh, diversity and inclusion today. Uh, we have an amazing guest today, someone that I've known for many, many years. Uh, I actually met him through a phone call when he was working for uh, a major telecom company, uh, like I mentioned several years ago. He and I have actually grown our friendship over the last several years, and he is uh, known as the hardest working man in recruiting. Um, his name is Torn Ellis. He has spoken at several conferences around the globe. Uh, including RecFest, Disrupt HR, Hiring Success 19, Unleash, Strive 19. He also is the host of Career Mix on Sirius XM on Sunday. He was a contestant on Top Recruiter. He's also an author, and he is also a business owner. Uh, again, I'd like to welcome Mr. Torin Ellis uh, to the podcast. Torin, how are you? I'm well. Uh, let's see. Uh, a father. Uh, a guy who likes to get out and run whenever the body permits him to do that. I absolutely love people. That's who I am. So I'm doing wonderful. And thank you for for uh, giving me some space on your 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 pod. I love it. Oh, no problem. When did you start this running thing? I didn't know about that. Yeah, yeah. So I, I've been running for for a while now. You know, there, there was a time, <clears throat> Shannon, when I served uh, in the United States Air Force, <clears throat> pardon me, Right, right. When I was in the Air Force, I actually was in, you know, really, really good shape. I, I would work out often. I took martial arts classes, uh, all of that. And then when I exited the Air Force in 1990, I continued to work out uh, in gymnasiums across the country, wherever I was stationed or, you know, wherever I was living. Uh, but then it just came to a point where I just got tired of lifting weights mm -hmm. and I wanted to do something that I had not done. And I had never been a cardio guy. So I started running, and I probably started running right around 2010. So it's been about a decade now that I've been running. Okay. The most that I've been able to do is 10 miles. I've only been able to do that once. Mm -hmm. uh, and there was a reason why I did that 10-mile run here in Baltimore City. Uh, typically, I would do something like five to six miles, if you will. Right. Uh, and now these days at my age and with some of the uh, ailments that I have with my body, mm -hmm. uh, you know, I'm happy to get out there two, three times a week and do somewhere between two and four miles and I'm good. Okay. I'm, I'm impressed. I, uh, yeah. I uh, was a, a triple jumper in college and I don't think I've run uh, 10 miles in my life. So uh, <laughs> we, we run down the runway, we get tired. So uh, there you go. <laughs> Like I said, but no, thanks. Uh, thanks for joining us today. Can you tell us just a little bit about uh, how you got in uh, to the DNI space and uh, kind of what led you to it? So the the short story is, I got into recruiting in ninety three ninety four when I worked for a telecom company. I was responsible for building my own team. Left corporate America in nineteen ninety eight, 
started a contingency firm, third party uh, firm with a very dear friend of mine. Uh, we hit that uh, economic collapse of 2001 that I'm sorry, the, the Internet bubble of 2001. And I can certainly go on with uh, some of the other major dates. But for me, the turning point was after the economic collapse of 08. Uh, I started to get tired of transactional recruiting. There was no no longer a challenge for me. Uh, and I don't mean that in a disparaging way, nor in a way that says that recruiting is easy. It was no longer a challenge that I, I found love in. Mm-hmm. And so what, what I did find love in was telling story and and getting people to understand that there was a different uh, opportunity, one that they should be considering. What I found even more challenging was how many organizations had equal employment opportunity uh, statements at the bottom of their website, and you would look at their boards of directors, and it would be nothing but white faces. What I found even more challenging were press releases around the need for diversity and inclusion, and yet they were doing absolutely nothing. Mm -hmm. And I think the catalyst for me was that I have a good friend here in Washington, D.C., African-American male. He worked for a data storage company. He was the only uh, African-American or person that was black or brown, if you will, on the sales team in the entire country. There were almost 200 salespeople. He was the only one. That moment for me, 2011, is when it crystallized that we needed to do something different. I needed to do something different, Um, not transactional, but focusing more on helping people optimize their strategy for finding uh, underrepresented talent. Mm-hmm. And I, I kind of understand that. I mean, obviously, uh, a lot of meetings I go to, I'm, I'm the only African-American uh, in the meeting as well. So uh, definitely kind of understand where, where, where you're going with that. So why do you think we're, we're still having this conversation in, in 2020? Um, you know, this conversation has been going for a long time and, uh, you know, obviously I think there's been some progress, but we continue to have this conversation, even though there's this supposed war for talents. I mean, what, what do you think st- what the, the cause of that is? So first and foremost, I throw paint on anyone who says war for talent. It's a phrase from 1998 and it, it just sickens me to my core. Like, you know, folks come up with these phrases and they gain traction and we all find ourselves sometimes becoming culpable in the the reference and the utilization of these phrases. Right. Business has always, has always fought to find incredible talent, mm-hmm. you know? So, so this is nothing new, but, but that being said, when we talk about why do you think it is, you, you got to look at this DNI conversation in many ways, Shannon is over a hundred years old. You have to think about Ford Motor Company back in 1913, one of the first large corporate clients that were, you know, spending time and, and, and being very intentional around hiring a variety of individuals. And I don't know if they necessarily called it diversity and inclusion, but they were one of the first large organizations that hired uh, African-Americans, that hired people with some form of disability, that hired Irish people, if you will. So Ford was one of the first in 1913. You got 1919, the veterans, where they started gaining traction in the workplace. 1961, an executive order around racial equality. 1964, of course, the Civil Rights Act. Uh, And then you have the diversity reports over the last, let's say, 
six, seven, eight years, 2013 or 14, depending on where you like to start the, the count. My point in referencing those is that this DNI conversation is not just over the last 10 years. It's not just over the last 20 or 30. It's actually one that goes further back. And so when you ask why, for me, it's because people don't care, period. Mm -hmm. It's easier for us to put up a report, to put something beautiful at the bottom of our website, to go out and get some stock photographs of some black and brown folks and sit them at a desk, to promote one person and to say that we've done well. It's easy for us to put a chief diversity officer in place and not give them any power or resources. It is very easy to do things that will assage the, the, the general population or the employee workforce, but to not be substantive. And so I think that for too many organizations, Shannon, they've not been substantive. They've been placating. They've been uh, perimeter, if you will, but they've not been very serious. There is not one tech company, not one. And I'm not picking on tech because I think too many people have picked on tech. We can go Wall Street. We can go healthcare, I can go government, I can go uh, in any direction, there's a lack of diversity. Yep. But no tech company right now would put up with AOL dial-up, not one, not one. So then why is it that we are still comfortable with the lack of representation and not trying? Yeah, I, I would agree with that. Obviously, if you look at the leadership, the people that are uh, of color in leadership positions, I mean, there's very few. Uh, and that in tech, in non-tech companies, I mean, there's definitely not uh, representation at the top. Or, or, or in many cases throughout the organization, for that matter. Uh, you know, like I mentioned, I mean, many times, and I'm sure you've experienced this too, uh, you're the only one in a meeting. Uh, and you're looking around and you're like, you know what, there are people just as qualified as I am, and why aren't they sitting at the table? Yeah, I mean, Ken Chenault said that. You know, I can't remember exactly where the interview took place, but Ken Chenault, the former uh, chief executive officer for American Express, he said exactly the same thing. There are a number of talented people that can do the job that I'm doing right now, but they are not given the opportunity. Janine Uzel from Wikimedia Foundation shared with my audience, my SiriusXM audience last year, you know, it is extremely hard and she built an incredible career at General Electric. It's extremely hard for individuals to continue to want to fight, to thrive inside of organizations when they are not respected, when they are not recognized, when they are not valued. It is very, very difficult. Uh, and so I just think that for a lot of these organizations, you need to, you need to find a way to set aside your fear of whatever it is that you are afraid of and understand that all of these white papers and these reports by Catalyst and Kaleidoscope and <clears throat> Deloitte and McKinsey and Boston Consulting Group, when you look at these reports that say that diversity and inclusion has a, a, new, uh, a, a measurable impact on your bottom line uh, and you say you believe them, then you need to do what it takes to to chase that belief. And that doesn't mean that you have to be perfect. It doesn't suggest, Shannon, that an individual organization is not going to have some missteps. It doesn't mean that we don't need to move some people around. It just simply means that we should be substantive in our effort. Mm -hmm. and, and I say effort over initiative. 
Okay. Initiatives come and go. Effort becomes the lifeline of the organization. Right, I mean, it's definitely not, I'm going to put a diversity program in place and it's going to have a finish and an end. I mean, that's just not the way things work. And I think, you know, so many people feel that, you know, anytime they put an initiative in place, it has to have an, uh, a beginning and an end. Uh, I think this is a way companies have to live and breathe. They need to actually, uh, you know, really think that diversity in, is, is, is important to the organization and value it and bring it into their culture. No, absolutely. Um, I always tell people there is no finish line in this work. You know, when you look at where we are as uh, a global economy, there is no finish line in this work. First and foremost, diversity and inclusion looks different here than it does over in EMEA, looks different in EMEA than it does in Europe, looks different in Europe than it may look in you know, Latin America. So first and foremost, it's different globally. Second of, second of all, when you look at the shifts that are happening geographically, you know, they're predicting that Russia is going to be the country in 2050 with the most Muslims. Russia, Russia will have the most Muslims as a country by 2050. We know what the numbers look like here for the U.S. by I think it's like 2040 or 2042. And so I just think that when we are thinking about where people are and migrations and geographies and economies and uh, education and, you know, job opportunities. I mean, when we think about all of this, we should all be thinking about this is a conversation that will rest with us forever. And it's okay that it will rest with us forever. I'm cool with that. Right. So if you're, if you're a company out there and you want to get serious, how, how do you go about doing that? Like, what do you do? Like, uh, how do you structure your team? I mean, what do you do to actually show and mean that you're being serious? So I think your your question was, you know, w- what does it look like to be serious? There's a number of ways to look at that, but I try to be a bit foundational. So first and foremost, I think the, the steps, let, let me back up. So Shannon, for me, when I go into an engagement, when I'm looking at an organization, I'm looking for three things. Okay. I'm looking for empowerment. I'm looking for individuals to feel like they have support and they can raise their voice, whatever that voice is, however that voice comes out, emits whatever it needs to say, people are comfortable and strong enough in saying what needs to be said. Empowerment is extremely important. Number two, I look for strategic exploration. Mm -hmm. I'm looking for organizations that are curious. They they want to, to be successful. They want to make progress in this regard, and they are willing to Uh, explore a variety of different options to figure out what option works best in their uh, culture, in their environment, with their composition, with their product service suite, with their geographic footprint, with the marketplace. I'm looking for that strategic exploration. And then last but not least, Shannon, I'm looking for tactical execution. So now that we've explored it all and we've put some data in place or we baseline things, whatever, Now we're going to do the work. We're going to uh, allocate resources. We're going to put man and woman hours on that. We're going to put technology against that. We're going to put plan in place and, and we're going to do all of these things. But, but if an organization is, is not willing to explore their voice, they're not willing to explore different strategy and they're not willing to execute. It really doesn't matter. They'll continue to do press releases and stand up and pontificate about how wonderful of a workplace they are 
and they will absolutely do nothing that moves the needle around diversity and inclusion. And for some of those, they will they will skate by, Shannon. They will they will make it. They will they will get through the next ten years, fifteen years, twenty years for whatever reason. They'll still be there. For the largest of organizations, that's not going to be the case. So so that's what I look for. To your point exactly around team and composition, you know, it really depends. I think the first question that I challenge everyone to ask is what stage of the business are you in? Because D&I looks different in your business unit or your department depending on the stage of the business that you're in. And many people, you know, they try to take issue when I say that, but I tell them, you know, very, very simply, you can't have the same leader or talent uh, in a startup organization as you might have in a mature organization. Chemistry doesn't work. The workload doesn't necessarily align. The responsibilities and the rapid pace in which we have to do things are different. So I think that it's extremely important, no matter who you are in the organization, you have to know what stage of the business you are in. Are you in a startup phase or a transformation phase? Are you in continuous improvement, maturation? What stage of the business are you in, in your business unit or your department? And then we begin to shape our efforts from there. And that goes back to reinforcing what I said a moment ago around there's this, there's no finish line in this because today we may be in continuous improvement, but tomorrow we may be in maturation because we got it. You know, we, we, we change whatever that continuous improvement was, you know, it's been a four year process. It's been a 24 month process. It's been whatever. Now we are in, you know, we're just in a, a float stage We're we're, we're moving slow and steady. Well, that may require some different people. That may require a different uh, headcount management strategy. That may require we recruit differently. Uh, we, we promote differently. We, we look at learning and development differently. We look at supply chain differently. You see where I'm going with this? What I impress upon my clients is that DNI is not a recruiting thing right. only. Right. It's in every single value point thing. And, and until organizations understand and look at it that way, we'll continue to have a nascent and tiring conversation. And in some cases, Shannon, a punitive conversation, we got to switch how we approach it. And then we can put some air and some, some love under that conversation and have some more fun and some more success. Right. I think when you mentioned the punitive piece, I think that, you know, a lot of people do think that it's punitive, unfortunately. You know, they don't realize how important it is uh, to the business and to the overall culture, right? I just think, you know, oh, we, ha we have to do this. Um, you know, and, and they begrudgingly do it. And it, it's really not, um, you know, something that they should approach that way, I think. Uh, but unfortunately, you do hear uh, that to be the case at times. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. You know, I just think that when you do it the right way, and you get more people inside of the organization feeling as if they are a part of how this process unfolds. Right. You know, they don't have to be at the top of the table, right. but they are a part of the conversation, whether that be through an ERG or a BRG, whether that be through, uh, you know, it's Black History Month. We should be having conversations in our organization uh, around Black history, around you know, people like Mr. Roy Clay Sr., who had a hand in starting Hewlett Packard that we know today or HP that we know today. He's still living. People like that. We should be 
inside of our organization thinking about how to celebrate not only Black History Month, but Women's Month and um, International Women's Day, which is March 8th, and Equal Pay Day and the Equal Pay Day for all three audiences, white women, black women, and Latina women. You know, we should be thinking about how do we have just rich environments where it's not a punitive thing. It is a conversation of promise. And even if in that one instance or in a few others, it's uncomfortable, it's still conversations around promise. It's around people being a part of what's taking place in the organization. And what I often say to people, Shannon, and I'll go to my grave saying it to them, the ROI of DNI is greater humanity, period. And if you do DNI right and you are looking for the best ROI, then that's us being better humans. Right. And I don't see anything at all wrong with greater humanity. I would 100% agree with that. Uh, you know, and one thing you did mention about, you know, a lot of people thinking it has to start at the top, and uh, which many times it does, but it has to go throughout the entire organization. I mean, that organization needs to really embed itself in the community in which it serves. Yeah, absolutely. And so that's, you know, again, why I remind you, that's why I listed learning and development. So, I mean, you, when you traditionally think about DNI, that conversation rarely moves beyond talent acquisition, right. rarely. And then when it moves beyond talent acquisition, it might go to employer branding. You understand what I'm saying? It might go to, now, again, I'm not legal because legal, you know, wants certain language to or not to be inside of job descriptions and blah, 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 blah. My point is that DNI has to get beyond just talent acquisition and onboarding. It's got to be inside of supply chain. It should be in corporate social responsibility. It has to be inside of board governance. It should be talked about on the agenda. How do we show up in the community? Where are we doing our banking? How do we uh, allocate funds to nonprofits? I mean, I can go on and on and on. It's something that should be who we are. And if we do that, again, I, I, I sound like a broken record, but if we do it that way, then it's not punitive. It's promising. It's fun. It's engaging. It may be hard. It's a good day's work. That's what it is. I agree. I, I want to switch gears just a little bit and not necessarily switch gears, but one thing that we do uh, direct employers and actually with our recruit rooster arm, uh, we do a lot of DNI videos for employers. Um, you know, and some employers who, employers who are thinking about doing a DNI video, they just come out and say, hey, we don't have a lot of DNI or we don't have a lot of diversity in our organizations. Like, what do we do? Uh, you know, if you were going to be working with those employers, what would you advise them to do if they were putting together a video um, to try to encourage um, not just African-Americans, but diverse candidates in general to come into the organizations, like what would you encourage them to do? Like how, what would you tell them to, 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 to put in their video? Yeah, well, I would put the truth in your video. Okay. You know, don't, don't go out and hire actors or actresses. You know, don't hire props. Just put the truth in your video. Let leadership talk about the initiatives uh, and the effort that is being placed into changing the composition of, the workplace and for reason, mm -hmm. you know, we see value in that. And, and it's something that we are working very hard to do. So put truth in your video and that message can come 
from anyone inside of the organization, but most certainly it should be coming from people in a hiring capacity. It should be coming from people in leadership. It should be coming from people that are going to be managing other talent. And it should come from individuals that are the talent, Mm -hmm. you know, and because you get a different perspective at every single level of the organization. And so I say put truth inside of your video. Don't try to don't try to sugarcoat it. Let's talk about what it is. And I think that people I think we're at a stage now with Gen Z and millennials and others that are in the workplace, Shannon. I just think that we are at a stage where they can handle that truth. They can they can swallow and appreciate that truth. And and for some of them, it may be a Jackie Robinson moment where they may be the first person in an organization or they may be one of few in an organization, but they're willing to cross that that barrier and to become that individual because something else inside of the messaging on the website, uh, in email blasts, in job descriptions, it resonates with them. So we can be honest, we can be truthful, we can be on mission, and we can change the organizations, the composition of representation inside of our organizations. No, and I, I, again, I'm with you, uh, and I always encourage recruiters when they're actually talking about DNI to be honest. Um, you know, I know if I were out interviewing, I would want to be honest. I want, want somebody to be honest with me uh, and tell me exactly where they were in their journey and, uh, you know, kind of what they were, what their, what their goals were long term and why they wanted to diversify the organization. I think that's so important uh, to just be up front and, and let them know where you are today, but then also let them know where you want to go. I couldn't say it better. I mean, again, I think the best of us do it that way. You know, when you are, I've never been one and, you know, don't know too many that just sling requisitions and, you know, uh, poorly placed people in ill-fitted positions, if you will. Uh, I used to pride myself, uh, Shannon, when I was doing transactional recruiting, you know, all of those uh, engagements have a guarantee clause. and I started my firm in 1998, from 1998 to 2012, and I get a little fuzzy on the numbers, uh, but from 98 to 12, I think I had to replace two people. I'm sorry, three people. One person was through one of my contract recruiters that worked with me, and I took responsibility for that. Uh, And then the, the, the second and third replacement was for the same client, the same position, and the manager came to me and said, you know, Torm, we got, we had the specs all wrong. You gave us what we asked for, but it's not, that's not what we really need. So I still took responsibility and replaced that person. So, you know, that pretty much is my footprint, you know, in my transactional recruiting days, you know, I've only had to replace three or four people in all of those years. Like very impressive. So I want to switch. I do want to switch gears now. So what's next for you? Like, I know you've been going to Europe. Uh, I know you're going to Australia. I know you're doing crazy big things, but kind of what's what's on the radar for you? Yeah, it's real simple for me, uh, Shannon. I want everyone between Archie Bunker and George Jefferson to get a message around diversity, equity, inclusion, and belonging. What do I mean by that? I use that example because for 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 many uh, that speak or that train that stand in front of a room, they'll say, as long as I, as long as I reached one person, mm-hmm. well, that ain't good enough for me. Um, and so when you ask what's next for me, I am pursuing 
a variety of projects that allow the voice to hit every single individual. Uh, and again, I don't want to only talk to talent acquisition and employer branding people. I want to talk at accounting conferences. I want to talk on talk shows. I want to be seen on, um, you know, places where a DNI conversation would probably be the last <laughs> thing you would expect on the agenda, uh-huh. but that's where we want to be. So I want to sit on a couch with, uh, you know, name one of these, these night, night show personalities, uh, Trevor Noah. You know, I would love to sit on a couch with Trevor Noah and talk about diversity, equity, inclusion, and belonging because he's got an audience of millions of people that come into our workplaces all around the world and we have to in, interact and interface with them. I need them to understand why this is so incredibly important. So when you say what's next, what's next is ambition. That's the easy one word uh, response that I could share. Well, like I said, I mean, you've been doing some some huge things since we initially uh, uh, spoke and uh, I, I'm proud of you, my man. Uh, you're, you're doing it and uh, getting that message out. And I think people are starting to hear uh, and respect the work that you're doing. So, uh, you know, I would definitely, I, I, I just appreciate it. Uh, am I going to see you at Unleash uh, in, uh, uh, in March in, uh, in London or no? No, you won't see me at Unleash uh, in London. I smile because you will see me at Unleash in Vegas for the second year in a row. I'm going to be the MC. Um, so just hold your horses. Anyone out there who has uh, purchased your ticket, uh, if it's your first time attending Unleash, you're in for an incredible experience. We had a grand and epic time last year. Uh, Mark Coleman, China Gorman, and George LaRock decided that they wanted me to come back this year mm-hmm. and MC. I think it had something to do with the various outfits. You know, I treated, I had my own little red carpet affair when I was asked to be the MC. So I made sure that every day I had on something that made me feel like I was the sharpest man in Vegas, um, the most comfortable man in Vegas, the most confident man in Vegas. We had a very good time and we're going to do the same thing this year as well. So you're saying if I come out, I got my 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 work cut out for me to to try to, to try to match you, right? Is that what you're telling? No, me? you don't. You you just show up the way you show up. I just know how I'm gonna show up. You understand what I'm saying? I get you. I get you. Hey, this one last question. So, final final takeaway. If uh, you wanted to give uh, one takeaway from our conversation today, what would that be? Uh. I, I'm just going to go with, you know, my, my, one of my favorite sayings, the ROI of DNI is greater humanity that, you know, all of us, Shannon, we should all be able to pursue this work in some way, you know, no, no matter what our capacity position role, we should be uh, in some position to pursue this work. We should be willing to make some mistakes to recalibrate uh, and then to chase down measurable progress. We should be saying to ourselves that we don't want our children, our grandchildren, to have a nascent conversation around diversity, equity, inclusion, and belonging uh, in the next five or ten years. So that's the one thing that I want people to take away. Take a self-assessment uh, and ask yourself, what might I do differently and then do something? 
Awesome. Well, thank you so much for your time today. Uh, I, I really appreciate it. I, I appreciate your friendship and, you know, at times your mentorship. Um, I mean, it's been awesome getting to know you and to, I can actually call you my friend and it's been awesome. So uh, thank you again for today and uh, we will talk soon. We absolutely will. And again, to you, thank you. And to your audience that will be listening, my only request is that you continue to support Shannon and the work that he and uh, the team at Direct Employers are doing and, and that you share this podcast. You know, don't be shy in hitting that share button. Share this podcast far and wide. Shannon, I appreciate you. Thank you so much. For the listeners out there who would like to continue the conversation with Torn, you can reach him by visiting TornEllis.com. That's T-O-R-I-N-E-L-L-I-S.com. Or you can connect with him on LinkedIn or on Twitter at at Torn Ellis. Thank you again for tuning in to another episode of the DE Talk podcast. With so many great topics to cover, be sure to follow Direct Employers on Facebook, Twitter, and LinkedIn. And remember to subscribe, rate, and review the DE Talk podcast to be sure that you're the first to receive notifications of new episodes available each month. Thanks again for listening and look to have you join us in the future. Thank you.